The Stranger by Gordon R. Dixon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman. If the alien spacecraft was not a rocket ship, what was it? And an even bigger question should they investigate or run for their lives? The Stranger by Gordon R. Dixon. We will not consider the odds involved in their finding the stranger, for the odds were impossible. They came down to rest their tubes on an unnamed planet of a little-known star in the Buckhorn Cluster. Because they were tired from weeks in space, they came in without looking. They circled the planet once and spiraled down to an open patch of sand between two rocky cliffs. Only then did they see the other ship. Jeff Wadley was at the controls, and his eyes widened when he saw it. But his fingers did not hesitate on the controls for a deep-space starship is not the kind of vehicle that can change its mind about landing once it is within a half a mile of the ground. He brought the Emerald Girl in smoothly to a stop, not five hundred feet from the stranger. Then he sat back. "'Dad,' he said flatly into the intercom, "'swing the turret.' Peter Wadley, up in the instrument room, had already seen the strange ship and the heavy twin barrels of the automatic rifles were depressing to cover. Jeff leaned forward to the communicator. "'Identify yourself!' the tight beam and common code snapped across the little stretch of open sand to the cliff against which the other seemed to nestle. "'We are the mining ship Emerald Girl, Earth License, 582 days out from Arcturus Station. Identify yourself!' There were steps behind Jeff, and Peter Wadley came to stand behind his son's tense back. Do they answer Jeff? No. Identify yourself. Identify yourself. Identify yourself. The angry demand crackled and arced invisibly across the space between both vessels, and there was no answer. Jeff sat back from the communicator. The palms of his hands were wet, and he wiped them on the cloth of his breeches. "'Let's get out of here,' he said nervously. "'And leave him?' His father's lean forefinger indicated the strange, silent ship. "'Why not?' Jeff jerked his face up. "'We're no salvage outfit or government exploration unit.' There was a moment of tenseness between them. The old man's face tightened. We'd better look into it, he said. Are you crazy? blazed Jeff. It was there when we came. It'll be here if we leave. Let's get going. We can report it if you want. Let the Federal ships investigate. Maybe it just landed, his father said evenly. Maybe it's in trouble. What if it is? Jeff insisted. Don't you realize we're a sitting target here? And what do you think it is? Aunt Susie's runabout? Look at it! And with a savage flip of his hand he shoved the magnification of the viewing screen up, so that the other ship seemed to loom up in a hand's breadth beyond their walls. It was an unnecessary gesture. 
there was no mistaking that the lines of the other ship were foreign to any they had ever seen it was big not outlandishly big but bigger than the emerald girl and bulb-shaped with most of its bulk up front there was no sign of ports or airlocks only a few stubby fins which projected forlornly from the body at an angle of some thirty degrees and from its silence and immobility its strange inhuman lines a cold air of alien menace seemed to reach out to chill the two watching men well challenged jeff but the older man was not listening the radar camera he said half to himself he turned on his heel and stalked off jeff sitting tensely in his chair heard his father's footsteps die away to be succeeded seconds later by the distant clumsy sounds of a man getting into a spacesuit jeff swore and jumping to his feet ran to the airlock his father radar camera at his feet was already half dressed to go outside you aren't going out there he asked incredulously the older man nodded and picked up his fishbowl helmet jeff's face twisted in dismay i won't let you he half shouted you're risking your life and i can't navigate the ship without you helmet in hand his father paused the deep graved lines in his face stiffened i'm still master of this ship he said curtly alien or not that other ship may need assistance by interspace law i'm obliged to give it if you're worried cover me from the gun turret he dropped the helmet over his head cutting jeff off from further protest seething with a mixture of fear and anger jeff turned abruptly and climbed hurriedly into the gun turret the twin barrels of the rifles were already centered on their target which the arming screen showed together with the area between the two vessels and a portion of the emerald girl's airlock which projected from her side as jeff watched the outer lock swung open and a gray space-suited figure raced for the protection of the bow it was a dash of no more than five seconds duration but to jeff it seemed that his father took an eternity to reach safety he reached for the microphone on the ship's circuit and pulled it to him all right dad in spite of himself jeff's voice was still ragged with anger fine jeff his father's voice came back in unperturbed tones i'm well shielded and i can get good clean shots at every part of her let me know when you're ready to start back said jeff and shoved the microphone away from him he sat back and lit a cigarette but his eyes continued to watch the other ship as a man might watch a dud bomb which has not yet been disarmed after a while he noticed his fingers were shaking and he laid the cigarette carefully down in the ashtray when he comes back thought jeff it'll be time we'll have this thing out then he's become some sort of religious fanatic and he doesn't know it how a man who's been all over hell and seen the worst sides of fifty different races in as many years can think of them all as lovable human children i don't know 
but know it or not this taking of chances has got to stop someplace and right here is the best place of all when he gets back if he gets back we're taking off and if he doesn't get back i'll blow that bloody bastard over there into so many bits coming in jeff his father's voice on the speaker interrupted him jeff leaned forward his hands on the trips of the rifles the small gray figure suddenly shot back to the protection of the airlock which snapped shut behind it then he took a deep breath stood up and wiped the perspiration from his forehead he went down to the instrument room peter wadley was already out of his suit and developing the pictures jeff picked them up as they came off the roll damp and soft to the touch i can't tell much he said holding him up to the light there's a great deal of overlap his father answered we're going to have to section and fit the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle wait till i'm through here for about five minutes more pictures continued to come off the roll then peter picked up a pair of scissors and arranged the prints in their proper sequence clear the table he told jeff and fit these together as i hand them to you for a little while longer they worked in silence then peter laid down his scissors that's all he said now what have we got i don't know answered jeff bewilderment at his voice it looks like nothing i've ever seen peter stepped up to the table and squinted at the shadowy films with eyes practiced in reading rock formations he shook his head it is strange he said finally do you see what i see demanded jeff there's no real crew space there's this one spot up front he indicated it with his finger that's about as big as a good-sized closet and nothing more than that except corridors about twenty inches in diameter running from it to points all over the ship she must be flown by a crew of midgets midgets echoed the old man thoughtfully i never heard of an intelligent race that small then there's something new said jeff with a shrug of his shoulders no said his father slowly i don't remember when or where i heard it but there's some reason why you can't have an intelligent race much smaller than a good-sized dog it has something to do with the fact that they grow in size as their developing intelligence gives them an increasing advantage over their environment here's the evidence jeff answered tapping on the film with one finger no pete was bending over the picture fragments again look at these things in the corridor they're obviously controls jeff looked i see what you mean he said at last if there's any similarity between their mechanical systems and ours these controls are built for somebody pretty big but look how they're scattered all over the ship that's a good fifteen or twenty different groups of instruments and other things that means a number of crew members and you simply can't put a number of large crew members in those little corridors there's a large amount of total space pete began then suddenly a faint tremor ran through the ship jeff leaped for the screen and his father moved over to stand behind him good lord 
said Jeff. Look at her! The other ship shook suddenly and rolled silently to one side. Some unseen center of gravity pulled her back to her original position. She hesitated a moment and then tried again with the same result. She lay quiescent. Jeff pounded on his radiation drum graph. What does it say? Pete asked. Jeff shook his head in astonishment. Nothing, he answered. Just nothing at all. Nothing? Pete came over to take a look at the graph himself. It was, as Jeff had said, the line tracing the white surface of the graph was straight and undisturbed. But that's impossible, Pete frowned. The two men turned back to the screen. As they watched, one final shudder shook the strange ship, and then, like a stranded whale who has given up hope, it lay still. My God, said Pete, and Jeff turned to him in astonishment. It was the closest to profanity his father had come in twenty years. Jeff, do you know what I think? I think that ship is manned by just one great big creature, like a giant squid. That's why no radiation registered. He's trying to move his ship by sheer strength. Jeff stared at his father. You're crazy, was all he could manage to say. Why, something big enough to shake that ship would have to fill every inch of space inside it. You can't live in space that way. That's right, Pete answered. He clamped his hands on Jeff's shoulder excitedly and led him back to the jigsaw puzzle on the table. If I'm right, he said, there's no ship at all, as we understand it, but some sort of space-going suit for something terrifically large, something like a giant squid, as I said, or some other long-tentacled creature. His body would lie there, in this space you say is about the size of a closet, and his tentacles, or whatever they are, would reach out in these corridors to the various groups of instruments. Jeff frowned. It sounds sensible, he muttered, and in any case he wouldn't be able to go outside his ship to fix anything that went wrong. And I take it there is something wrong, or else he wouldn't be jumping around inside. Jeff? Pete said. I'm going outside to take a close look at him. Jeff's head snapped up from the jigsaw puzzle. The old sick fear had come back. It washed over him like a wave. Why? he demanded harshly. To see if I can find out what's wrong with this ship, said Pete over his shoulder as he went to the airlock. Coming? Wait! cried Jeff. He stood up and followed his father. For a moment there, they stood facing each other, two tall men with less apparent physical differences between them than their ages might indicate, poised on the brink of an open break. Wait, said Jeff again. Now his voice was lower, more under control. Dad, there's no point in playing around any longer. You aren't going to be satisfied. Just look around out there and then leave. You're going to do something. And if that's it, I want to know now. 
There was a moment's silence. Then Pete turned back to Jeff, his face set. That's right, he said. I don't have to look. I know what's wrong, and I know what I'm going to do about it. There's a living intelligence trapped in that space thing, as you and I might be trapped. I can set it free with two of our motor jacks. If you've got one inkling of what it means to be ignored when you're caught like that, you'll help me. If not, I'm taking two jacks out the airlock, and you can fire the motors and take off and be damned to you. Between the two men, the tensions built and strained and broke. Jeff let out a ragged sigh. All right, he said. I'm with you. Good, said the older man, and there was new life in his voice. Get your suit on. I'll explain as we dress. The trouble with our friend there is that he's fallen over. I see you don't understand, Jeff. Well, this ship of ours lands on her belly. We've got booster rockets all over the hull to correct our landing angle. But ships weren't always that way. They used to have to sit down on their tail. There's no furrow where the ship landed. Only a circular blast spot, so it figures. Maybe some of his mechanisms went wrong at the last minute. At any rate, I'm betting that if we get him upright again, he can take care of himself from there on out. So you and I are going out there with the couple of jacks and see if we can't jack him back into position. The sand was thick and heavy. The walk over to the other ship was tedious, with the heavy jacks weighing them down. They reached the alien hull, paused a moment to get their breath, and then attached the magnetic grapples to the skin of the ship at two positions on opposite sides of the hull, and roughly a fourth of the way up from the rocket tubes. It was hard to anchor the jacks in the soft sand. They finally found it necessary to dig them in some three or four feet to a layer of rock that underlaid the sand. Then, when everything was ready, they took their stations, each at a jack, and Pete called to Jeff in the helmet set, All ready? Start your motor. Jeff reached down and flicked a switch. A tiny, powerful jack motor began to spin, and the jack base settled more solidly against the rock bed. When he was sure it would not slip, he left it, and went around the rockets to stand by his father. His face was gray. Well, said Pete tensely, up she goes. The nose of the alien ship was rising slowly from the sand. It quivered softly from some motion inside the ship. Yes, said Jeff, up she goes. His words were flat and dull. Pete turned to look at him. Scared, son? he asked. Jeff's lips parted, closed, and opened again. You know how we stand, he said dully. I've heard what you said from other men, but never from an alien. Most of the ones we know hit first and talk afterwards. You know that once this ship is on its feet, we're at his mercy. Just his rocket blast alone could kill us, and there wouldn't be time to get back to the girl. The alien was now at an angle of 45 degrees. The little jacks stretched steadily, 
pushing their thin stiff arms against the strange hull sand dripped from the rising ship yes jeff pete said i know but the important thing isn't what he does it's what we do the fact that we're helping him can't you see it that way son jeff shook his head in bewilderment i don't know he said helplessly i just don't know the ship was now nearly upright suddenly with an abruptness that startled both men it shook itself free of the jacks and teetered free for a second before coming to rest its nose pointed straight up there it goes said pete a tingle of excitement in his voice they moved back some yards to be out of the way of the takeoff blast suddenly the ground trembled under their feet pete put his hands on the younger man's shoulder there it goes he repeated in a whisper flame burst abruptly from the base of the ship it was warming up its tubes slowly the flame puffed out from its base and it began to rise jeff shook suddenly with an uncontrollable shudder his voice came to pete through the earphones starkly afraid now what he cried what'll he do now pete's grip tightened on his shoulder steady boy the ship was rising up it went and up until it was the size of a man's little finger a tiny sliver of silver against the black backdrop of the sky then inexplicably it halted and began to reverse itself slowly it turned until the blunt nose pointed toward them jeff's hoarse breath was loud in his helmet now it comes he thought and his muscles tensed a long minute flowed by and still the alien hung there then abruptly it went into a series of idiotic gyrations it twisted and turned and spun around swinging its fiery trail of rocket gases like a luminous tail in the darkness then just as abruptly it reversed once more so that its head was away from them in a twinkling of a moment it was gone pete sighed a deep ragged sigh did you see it boy he cried did you see it i saw it jeff's voice was filled with a new awe now i get it he wasn't sure he didn't know we were really trying to help him until we let him get all the way out there by himself then he knew he was free that's why he wouldn't answer before sure jeff sure said the older man a note of triumph in his voice but that's not what i mean did you notice all those contortions he was going through up there did they remind you of there was a moment of silence then the words came at first slowly then in a rush from jeff's lips like a puppy he said haltingly stumbling over the wonder of it like a puppy wagging its tail the light of the new understanding broke suddenly in his eyes dad said jeff turning to his father dad do you know what i think i think we've made a friend the two men stood there side by side looking into the blackness of space where the odd-shaped spacecraft 
had vanished. It, they felt, was on its way home. And they were right. Moreover, it was hurrying, for it had a story to tell. The End of The Stranger by Gordon R. Dixon